Tonight, on episode 41 of Martha Runs the World, I'm going to scare you with haunted running trails. So stay tuned if you dare. Welcome to the Halloween edition of Martha Runs the World. This is a podcast about running, fitness, and all things health-oriented. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I'll give you a new episode that is of interest to all runners, and this week to all runners who like scary places to run. Welcome to episode 41 of Martha Runs the World. For Halloween, I thought I'd do something a little different and offer three tales of haunted running trails. These are places that you can run around that have a history of paranormal activity or being haunted and also make a great running course. And I whittled it down to three because there's lots of them and I can do this every year. So I'll do three next year as well. But first, I want to say thank you to Kathy B. Miller of bloomingwisdom.com. She updated my website, or the podcast website. She did a great job, really, really good job. She does websites for podcasts, and she's really good at what she does. So if you need someone to build your website for your podcast... Kathy B. Miller at bloomingwisdom.com is your person. She's an expert, so hire her today if you need that service. And you can take a look at that at martharunsoftheworld.com, and I'll give all that information at the end of the episode. Story number one starts... In California, in the Sierra Nevada mountain range, it's Donner Memorial State Park. You've probably driven past it a hundred times on Interstate 80, the largest interstate in the country. It's the really the only way to get across the country this fast from San Francisco on to Nevada and Utah and Colorado, etc. So you've probably gone past the memorial a ton of times and never noticed it. Most people are familiar with the Donner story. The Donner Party, and this is for people who aren't familiar with it. I'm just going to give a, a brief synopsis for people out of the country or who aren't familiar with the Donner Party. They were a very unlucky party of pioneers who made their way across the western U.S. in covered wagons and had the unfortunate to be led by the not-scrupulous leader, Lansford Hastings. He used a quote-unquote new route, and in the process got them lost, and they were lost for days, for days out in the desert of Utah and Nevada. They just wandered aimlessly. They lost a lot of time. The first part, they were late leaving Missouri, so they got a late start, and the pioneers who came out west... They could go one of three routes. They could go north and avoid the Sierra Nevada mountain range altogether and go up 
Of course, they still had to go past the Colorado Rockies, which are larger. But I guess that road was more used or something. Well, they once they got past the Colorado Rockies, they would go up farther north and avoid the Sierra Nevadas and then go into Oregon. Or they could go down south and avoid the Sierra Nevadas by going through the desert. That was no um, joy ride either. It was really hard work going through the desert. Or they could go head on and go right into the Sierra Nevadas. But there was a way to do this. It's just that um, Lansford Hastings didn't want to go that way and he thought he knew best. Well, I guess not because they were lost in the desert. And then by the time they made the Sierra Nevadas, it was October and there was such an early snowfall that they were under snow very shortly. So they really blew it and it was a huge catastrophe. They were trapped in the snow for five months. They had no food and well, as soon as people started dying, they had to eat them. And well, some say because of insanity or maybe isolation, who knows what, but a few of the people actually started enjoying eating human flesh. Who knows? I don't know if that's true or not. If that's just legend, I'm not sure. But only 45 of the original immigrants made it through into California. It was already California, but made it into a past the Sierra Nevadas, I should say. This is an area that is absolutely beautiful today. It has some of the most gorgeous, picturesque mountains you'll see. And it is beautiful country with pine trees and granite rocks and hundreds of trails. If you go up there, the state park itself has lots of campsites and there's tons of campsites around if you can't get into that state park. There's hotels in, in nearby Truckee and other places. Lake Tahoe is near there. It's not far away from Lake Tahoe. So this is a trail runner's dream. There are so many places to run up there, so many places to, to explore if you just want to hike. There's animals up there. You've got deer, you've got bear, you've got all kinds of things up there. Um, but for them, it was a nightmare. It is a 6,000 feet elevation, so if you do decide to run up there, give yourself a little time to adjust because the elevation may, um, it may affect you. It does affect me, I know that for sure. You can go short trails. There, Like I said, there are so many trails. You can go on a very short trail run. You can go on a long one. You can meet up with the Tahoe Rim Trail, which goes over 200 miles around the Lake Tahoe. And there are races up there too, so check that out. With so many passing in such horrific ways, you just know there are stories of people experiencing strange occurrences. One woman, she said when she drove to the park, started smelling strange odors and she started tearing up for no reason. Once in the park, she felt like she was being watched. I don't know if she was being watched by a ghost or a deer. I don't know, raccoons maybe? <laughs> I don't know. There's also a story of a skier who was lost and was helped by a dark figure to find his way again. And then the figure disappeared. Many people had sensations of being watched. So again, is that ghosts or animals? Who knows? 
A family was rafting on the Truckee River that runs right through the area and reported seeing the ghosts of the Donner Party staring at them through the woods. Again, you decide. Were they ghosts or animals or people hiding in the woods? Who's to say? Which is creepy enough as it is, right? Resorting to cannibalism and then passing away is bound to lead to unhappy souls, I'm thinking. I mean, they didn't die happily. Let's just put it that way. So their souls are probably restless if you believe in that thing. And they're probably wandering around that area. I've been to that area a few times. I haven't experienced anything myself, but that doesn't mean I won't ever experience anything. I'm keeping my mind open on that. And even if you don't experience anything, if you do go there, it's a beautiful area and you'll have an excellent, excellent time and enjoy your trail run there. For our second story, we cross the U.S. 3,000 miles and go all the way to New Jersey, to South New Jersey to be uh, exact, to Pine Barrens. Now, Pine Barrens is a huge remote area. It takes up a lot of space of Jersey, and it's vastly empty, filled with trees, sand, and waterways. There's a lot of history hidden in these woods. It's a lot of history, a lot of empty buildings. The Pine Barrens is about one-fourth of the land of New Jersey, but they're little known outside of people who live in the state. European settlers arrived there in the mid-1600s and promptly set aside cutting down trees, damming the rivers, taking what little ore they could find, and it was pretty well junk ore that they, that they used, and basically making nuisances out of themselves. They built glass factories, sawmills, iron furnaces, shipyards, and lots of inventions were discovered here as well. Other than cranberry bogs and blueberry bushes, almost all of it's gone. It's difficult to think of right now, but from the 1750s to the early 1900s, the pine, barren, pine lands bustled with small industries and factories. But now it's all gone, but it even included the first reservation for displaced Native Americans, the Lenny Lenape branch of the Delaware Nation at Brotherton was there. The Pine Barrens are believed to have gotten their name from the stunted pine trees together with the sandy acidic soil, and it doesn't support many of the crops either. That's when they discovered that cranberries grow really well there. And that made New Jersey what it is today, the third largest producer of cranberries in the country. Ghost towns, as well as reminders of a few ghosts, including the notorious highwaymen and the famous apparition dubbed the Jersey Devil, are everywhere. 
Legend has it that in 1735, a Pines resident known as Mother Leeds found herself pregnant for the 13th time. Leeds is a very popular name in New Jersey, and it's one of, as one of their earliest settlers, and many descendants of the Leeds family are still living there today. So if you run into a Leeds in South Jersey, they're probably one of the first descendants. Mother Leeds was not living a wealthy lifestyle. No, she was very poor. Her husband was a drunkard who made very few efforts to provide for his wife and 12 children. When she found out she was pregnant with the 13th, she held, raised her hands to the heavens and proclaimed, let this one be a devil. Mother Leeds went into labor a few months later on a stormy night, and she and her husband totally forgot about the curse. And along with the midwives, they delivered a baby boy, and it's, he seemed healthy at first. But within minutes, her unholy wish became, began to come to fruition. The baby started to change, and changed right before her very eyes. Within moments, it transformed from a beautiful newborn baby into a hideous creature unlike anything the world had ever seen. The baby began growing fast. It sprouted horns from the top of its head and talon-like claws tore through the tips of its fingers. Leathery bat-like wings unfurled from its back and hair and feathers sprouted all over the child's body. Its eyes began glowing bright red as they grew larger. Creature savagely attacked its own mother, killing her then it turned its attention to the rest of the horrified onlookers. It flew at them, clawing and biting, voicing unearthly shrieks the entire time. It tore the midwives limb to limb, maiming some and killing others. A.J. Ryder was the cranberry king, and he made so much money off cranberries that a college in Trenton was named after him. Ryder's money attracted a deadly band of highwaymen who in 1916 shot Ryder twice, killed his brother, and wounded his daughter, who sped away with her dead uncle and wounded, car, wounded father in the car during a holdup attempt on a $4,000 payroll, the equivalent of nearly $90,000 today. It is said that the highwaymen still roam the, the roads today, probably looking for new people to rob. There are possibly as many as 100 ghost towns in the Pine Barrens. That's how big that area was in industry, but they're all gone. The ghost towns' names are things like Harrisville, Martha, Paisley, Brooksbray, and they're home to a lot of graffiti artists, plus apparently a lot of Satanists like that area too. And the Jersey Devil isn't the only ghostly site. The ghost of a small boy is said to haunt the Atco area. The victim of a hit and run, he roams Burnt Mill Road, still searching for his killer. If you drive down the road at night and turn off all your lights, you may just see a boy running for his ball. However, I wouldn't recommend turning your lights off on a dark road when you're driving. Yeah, that's not the best thing to do. Another spirit is said to roam the Pine Barrens is the ghost of James Still. He was an African-American doctor during the time of slavery, and legend said he was lynched when he attempted to perform medicine. And other ghosts include a blonde woman, white stag, black dog, and the headless spirit of the infamous pirate captain, Kid. The trails in this area will keep you running for a very long time, and if you come in contact with any of the local spirits, 
maybe for longer than that. Story three comes from Florida, the St. Augustine Lighthouse and the city of St. Augustine. The town or city, I don't know, it's quite kind of small, of St. Augustine is the oldest continual European settlement in North America. It was a busy hub for many decades, welcoming visitors from all parts of the globe who were courageous or crazy enough to journey to the new world. It was really like the United Nations of cities. Every person imaginable from all parts were there. It was a crazy place one time. The lighthouse that stands now was part of that, and it was a, the only beacon in the area for ships to follow. It was built in 1874 atop a long line of lighthouses that started back in 1586 when Sir Francis Drake raided the settlement. Yeah, we know about Sir Francis Drake, but he was a conqueror, and that's kind of what they do, right? It's known as the Mona Lisa of paranormal sites. When I heard that, I think of that part in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they're talking about the castle, where the father is talking to the son about the castle. Yes, well, the first castle burnt down, and the second castle burnt down and sunk into the swamp, and the third castle burnt down then sunk into the swamp, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's like that, because a lot of lighthouses were built until the final lighthouse was, was constructed. It's an excellent place to visit. The whole town is, is very cool. It's one of my favorite places. It sets on the northeast in the Florida coast atop beautiful soft white sand, and miles of it. I mean, miles of sand. And the lighthouse was con it's considered one of the tallest lighthouses in the U.S. It's 165 feet past sea level and contains 219 steps and you have to climb all those steps to get to the observation deck. And you can see for so far on that deck, well obviously Florida's flat, but you can really see a long ways. The land that the lighthouse rests upon has had a sea guiding structure on it for a long time. And prior to this, the lighthouse that, that was on there previously was only 40 feet tall and constructed of wood, contained only a lamp, and displayed a large number of flags. After the original lighthouse established by the territorial American government eroded and fell into the sea, construction began to build the lighthouse today. A man named Hezekiah H. Petit oversaw the work. To entertain his children, he allowed them to play with the supply cart that ran back and forth between the lighthouse and the ocean. But on July 10th, 1873, he would come to regret that. After a day of play, the two eldest petite children, Eliza and Mary, drowned when the cart toppled over into the water. Historians do believe that a third child, a young African-American girl, was also killed in the incident, though her name goes unmentioned in the newspapers. According to lighthouse workers, the mischievous spirits of these children still haunt the lighthouse today. 
Workers will find locked doors standing wide open the next day, and the sound of children's laughter can be heard in the stairwell. Music boxes sold in the gift shops inexplicably pop open, playing by themselves. Tour guides report multiple incidents of being touched and grabbed by ghosts while showing visitors around the lighthouse. And visitors do sometimes catch glimpses of a young girl dressed in period clothing peering out from the lighthouse door or standing near an upstairs window. There's a lot of paranormal activity in St. Augustine, as it is very, very old. There's a story of a young man who was deeply depressed because he couldn't be with his love, who was an African-American slave woman named Lily. He fell in love with her, but his uncle told, her, told him that he couldn't see her anymore. So he jumped out the window or hanged himself in the attic. No one is really sure what he did, but he killed himself. And for years, guest employees have reported apparitions that they've seen Lily in parts of, in parts of the inn, uh, seen a woman passing in, uh, dressed in all white. Other places in town have reported paranormal activity are Flagler College, the Old Jail, and Huguenot Cemetery. Huguenot is filled up with people and it's not accepting any new residents and is home to Judge John Stickney, whose gold teeth were stolen after his death by gold robbers, and that's why he haunts the grounds of the cemetery to find the robbers again. Being a judge, he probably is into um, criminals paying for their crimes. There's plenty to do and see in St. Augustine. The, the miles, I mean, the there's like 30 miles of beaches and you can't, you can run on this beach for hours and hours. It's, it's soft and, and wonderful. And you can run in your shoes. You can run barefoot, go for swim afterwards, go right when the sun rises over the ocean, you can run through town and run from brewery to brewery. There, there's these microbreweries in town. You can do that. If you want, you can just walk through or, go for a run afterwards. There's a lot of choices you can do. St. Augustine has a lot to do, a lot to see. It's a very fun place and it's a very unique place. There's, there is lots of activity there in the paranormal, paranormal sense. There's lots of history there and it's definitely worth a visit, at least for a weekend visit, maybe go and check it out. So I highly, highly recommend it. I do have one more haunted trail story, but to access that, you must become a Patreon patron. It's super easy and only costs a dollar a month. You can give more if you want, of course, but go to the patreon.com page and look up Martha Runs the World, and you can access that for a buck a month or two or three. I don't ask for much. I'm not asking for more because it's a little podcast. I'm just getting started. Maybe if I become big and famous, I'll ask for more. But if you want to give, please give, and then you'll get an extra episode, and you'll see what that is when you uh, sign up. Now, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Go to the website, MarthaRunsTheWorld.com, for all the information. I'll have links there for the stories and the locations that I talked about and where I got my, my information. I'll have links and I'll have some pictures. If you have any comments or have any suggestions for future shows, email me at MarthaRunsTheWorld.com at gmail.com and you can also sign up for the 
special newsletter I send out every week on the website. And then I think that's all the schlepping of info I want to give to you this week. So until next week, let's tie up our shoelaces and go for a run. <laughs>